Thanks for tuning in to the Lean 911 podcast where you'll have a voice directly from the Gemba. I will rely on my three decades of lean successes as well as my failures to answer your most challenging questions regarding your lean transformation. I'm your host, Mark Deluzio, President and CEO of Lean Horizons Consulting and the Principal Architect of the Danaher Business System. Looking forward to your questions now. Let's go to the Gemba. Hi, this is Mark Deluzio. Welcome to the Lean 911 podcast where we're going to be talking to Joe Rupp today. This is episode 26. And uh, if you're following along anyway, and uh, Joe Rutz is a longtime friend and colleague. Uh, met Joe at Danaher when his company was acquired in the mid to late 90s uh, in the motion group. And uh, Joe and I immediately bonded and, and basically, long story short, we traveled the world together, uh, not only integrating acquisitions, but developing Danaher's mergers and acquisitions integration process itself. And uh, so we've been... Uh, uh, quite a few places, uh, created all kinds of havoc around the world, Joe. And, uh, and so Joe Rutz, I'll let you maybe take a couple seconds. Uh, Joe's with Lean Horizons. He's a managing director with Lean Horizons. And what we're going to talk about today is lean in administration. Okay. And Joe also has an IT background along with manufacturing. He's uh, Apex certified, so he knows his way around the shop. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, has a lot of skills, but he was the one that really helped us at Danaher and part of the team when we built the Danaher business system to bring a different aspect into how we look at administrative processes. It also, as it relates to IT, and I'll let Joe talk about why IT is important, but some of the guidelines around that in terms of how you have to think about IT when you actually are trying to affect and change a uh, an administrative work stream. So, Joe, I'll let you say a few words about yourself, and then maybe we can get going. Excellent. Mark, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so, yes, uh, just a little bit about my background. I started in aerospace and defense, working on military defensive weapons, uh, moved into some consulting with IBM. Uh, Why I was working, I started in operations, and I moved into information technology. Uh, putting in ERP systems from a functional responsibility standpoint. And then I started helping companies make the transition. Um, after doing a brief stench of uh, consulting, I went into uh, a capital goods company and I got involved in lean, doing lean transformation. And as Mark talked about, uh, Danaher then acquired us and I met Mark and we took it to the next stage and drove uh, lean implementation, not just in manufacturing, but we had a business case where we had to work on our front end side of the business because we went into system solutions versus actual product sales. And in doing so, we had to redo our customer service, our sales cycle, our support cycle. Uh, and in that, we also went from 28 ERP systems to one global system and used IT to, as an enabler for the business processes. After that, I joined Mark in consulting, uh, went into a pharmaceutical, generic pharmaceutical, trying to help uh, in uh, developing products that become more price competitive uh, for the consumers, the uh, patients. And I went back to consulting with Mark. So Mark and I have worked for 30 some years uh, and we've had a, a checkered pass of opportunities around the world. So it's a pleasure to be here. And the real reason I, I, I worked with Joe is because he knew where all the good restaurants were in Europe. So. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, Joe, thanks. Thanks for taking the time today. And, uh, again, you're managing director with, uh, Lean Horizons. 
and um, and uh, Joe Joe runs a lot of different clients and accounts and uh, oversees the transformation. And that's one thing that we always talk about is the transformation. And he cannot talk about, I don't think a lean transformation, Joe, without talking about how the whole non-manufacturing part of the business works. Or even if you're not in manufacturing, uh, you know, you and I work together in insurance. We work together in financial services, pharmaceutical, all kinds of different applications. And as we all know, lean applies to anything. It could be a lemonade stand. It doesn't matter. So maybe, maybe we start off by talking a little bit about your thoughts on how do you look at Joe in the administrative process as a, now compared to a discrete, you know, classic manufacturing process where you got products, you got widgets, you create cells, you do all the things that you do with, with the hardware, if you will, and also the software with the people. But as you look at administration, give me your thoughts on admin and how you look at it and how you think it's the same and. And maybe how you also think it's different. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Great question. Yeah, so there are some parallels to certain administration processes where you can follow the product. For example, order entry, where you can say, okay, I have the contact with the customer. I receive the order. And you can go step by step and see the order actually uh, evolve. And you can find opportunities to take out waste based, based on the eight waste. Uh, and you can streamline that process. There's other administration processes that you don't have the ability to follow the process. For example, the R&D process, or even the, the closing process from a financial uh, uh, monthly close process where there are parallel activities that are happening and you can't follow the, the value object and you have to take a different approach at looking at it as non-transactional. But, but they both have the same opportunities. We take the basic content of identifying where we have waste and how do we eliminate that. We still look at first pass yield. Uh, typically in administration, it's not a reject, but it might be waiting for information where we have to go back to an upstream operation or process and say, okay, how do we get the right information when it comes through? We can pick up the product, uh, the, the output of that process and be able to process it all the way through. So similar concepts, but yet a little harder, I think, on some of them because you can't go out to Gemba and physically touch the product and watch it evolve. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the um, the work, if you will, is inside a computer somewhere and you can't see it. Absolutely, which is one of the problems I think with administration is that it's not visible all the time. But uh, well, that's interesting, you know. So, so John, use the word value object. Maybe you can explain to the listeners what you mean by value object. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, so if we think about it, when we do a value stream mapping process and we're doing something uh, such as a manufacturing, we'll pick the value object. For example, if we're mm -hmm. looking at the engine build process, we might make the value object the engine block. And what mm -hmm. we want to do is follow that engine block, use it to figure out what the inventory is sitting out through the whole value stream, understand what it takes from the beginning all the way through the end, and the delivery of that engine includes an engine block. For an administrative item, uh, we might have an item called a customer order. That becomes the value object. Again, we look at customer orders. We count the number of orders that are sitting at different steps of the process. And we use that to actually calculate lead time based on the daily demand. Uh, so it, it's something that we use to follow a, an item through a process when it's transactional driven. 
So for example, order entry, you mentioned would be a, a an order. Correct. Uh, purchasing might be a purchase order. Tom's payable might be an invoice uh, and so forth. Even in uh, HR could be a, uh, 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 a uh, performance review. Could be a performance review, um, or it could even be, uh, uh, a, a employee requisition, how we walk it through the process to evolve into a hiring decision. Sure. Sure. Yeah. The requisition itself. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so one, you and I worked on a client, we won't mention names here, but one of them was, uh, engineering change orders. Okay. ECOs. And you, you're the one that came up and said, well, well Mark women now, why are we going to get good at ECOs? And what we did in that case was, uh, and I give you a lot of credit on this is we looked at ECOs and we said to ourselves, well, wait a minute, nobody ever writes an ECO when good things happen. Okay. So we, we redefined an ECO as, as a, as a form of a defect because yeah. it was that a rework, right? Absolutely. In fact, that was one of the measurements we put in place is after initial release, how many ECOs do we have? Because that means we had a breakdown in the process. Yeah. What we actually did to design change. Yeah, I mean, why would I want to get good at that, right? And and so, but, you know, that's a different way of thinking that you brought to the table, even at Danaher, when we started, you know, creating the, uh, uh, if you will, the non-manufacturing side of DBS. And then the other thing we did with those ECOs, we, we said, let's use them as data and start creating Pareto diagrams as to what type of ECOs, you know, maybe we have software issues. Uh, so let's put those together. Then we break that down even further. Maybe it's electrical, maybe it's hardware, maybe it's, uh, you know, in, in even the specs that come in from the customer, is it always the same sales guy? Is it always the same customer? Is it always the same type of issue around a, uh, defect on the ECO? You know, in other words, what went wrong with that spec? What went wrong with that order? You know, why don't you, absolutely. all that use says. It's gold, if you will, to solve problems. Absolutely. If you, if you take the view as an ECO is, is a failure. Now there are some ECOs that are improvement that make it better. The question yeah. is, sure. how can I find those when I'm doing the initial design? But if you say, okay, the majority of ECOs are to fix something. Right. One of the key principles from a lead standpoint is use, use data to help drive where your root causes are. And right. it allowed us to get some determination and start slicing and dicing to get to the root cause, solve that. So we don't have that problem again. Yeah. And, and yeah, the one that we worked on though, I think a, a predominant amount of the ECOs were fixes. They weren't like improvements, as you said. Absolutely. And, and I think that's true for almost everyone I've seen, every, every client, every company I've seen, it's always trying to fix a problem. Well, Joe, let me ask you this question. So, you know, earlier you mentioned ERP and, uh, there's a lot of confusion around ERP, especially as it relates to MRP, uh, which, you know, ultimately evolved into ERP this all encompassing system that everything's tied together, order entry, accounting, planning, materials, everything's in this one universal ERP enterprise system in of which MRP was one part of it. Right. Um, but your experience with MRP systems in general, what you know, what are your thoughts on that? Now, you know, again, Joe, just to let you know, Joe's got an APEX certification, uh, which is the, you know, uh, uh, certificate in, in production inventory management. I have the same certificate, 
but Joe always tells me, well, I'm a fellow and you're not. So, uh, so I just thought I'd throw that out there before you said that. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to see Mark that you remembered, uh, uh some of your certification, but absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I was involved in MRP, uh, back in the very beginning where we started to put a system in place right. for financial controls, but also being able to work what's happening in the factory and use MRP to help plan for the consumption of products, ordering and all that. And typically what happens is uh, if we go back a number of years is people became so enamored with MRP um, that they stopped using and they use the system to drive behavior. And what we try and do from a lean perspective is use visual signals or what we call Kanban uh, to drive demand instead of a signal from the system. We want a visual card. And what we want to do is integrate that with the ERP system, but let the visual card so we limit our ability to build up excess product. We want to have enough product to keep the product moving. And we want to signal to make it very simple instead of having to look at reports, uh, get action reports out of uh, MRP that says, okay, go do this. Very uh, clearly say, I have a signal. I go against a blanket order I have with a supplier and I send a signal to the supplier to replenish. In a lot of cases, I don't need to use the sourcing team to actually communicate that signal to the supplier. I can do that with the person on the floor sending this signal, and I can have sourcing actually work on quality and help us find uh, the right products at the right time uh, to meet uh, our requirements. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the other notion too, Joe, as you and I know, is uh, is when you go to a pull system, ideally a flow system, but if you can't flow, you pull, you want to go to single point scheduling. So where, ER, where MRP would schedule every process known to man within the company, None of them ever coordinated and, uh, the whole notion of economic order quantity, which is a big, you know, me metric in MRP basically says, well, we want to eliminate the need. I'm sorry. We want to reduce the number of changeovers where we're sitting, you and I are sitting here saying, no, we want to, we want to change over more. Ideally get to no touch or one touch changeover. You were just in India with me in, in three days, you worked on reducing change over time on some key processes by about 90%. Yeah, and, abs yeah. absolutely. What we did there is we had, uh, three teams working on how to, uh, eliminate or reduce the setup time. So we could actually produce the product when we need it for the customer. And it allowed us to, to go to, uh, multiple cycles of scheduling, uh, the product. Uh, using a pull process instead of trying to schedule for the whole month, because what happens is you're stealing capacity for a, a customer's product that they actually need when you try and you know? and right. what we, is instead of saying, okay, uh, how do we do that? We got by, we reduced our setup time by 94%, 92%, which means it no longer was a big issue to do a setup change. Yeah, well, in, in the whole notion, in the mindset that has to happen is instead of the mindset of avoiding setups, we want to do more setups. Absolutely. And, and as you said, don't steal capacity on one part number when you can't sell it for another one, right? So anyway, that's a whole uh, behavioral thing. But but anyway, you know, I'm just tying that back into MRP thinking and how MRP is kind of counter to uh, 
it's actually a vast process, right? But, uh, but getting back to, um, getting back to, uh, administration, Joe. So, you know, I, I always insisted and so have you, um, I always want an IT person on the Kaizen team while we're doing admin, because inevitably you're going to have to affect some IT system somewhere along the line. And, and how many times have you heard, oh, the system won't let us do that, which I know drives you nuts. Right. It's like, yeah. the system or who do we work for here? You know? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, especially at Dana Hermotion and the pharmaceutical companies, I insisted that we have IT resources in process improvement events yep. because we typically have the capability already there. It doesn't require anything new. And we can, instead of having to go through a long cycle of submitting a request during the event, in a lot of cases, we can solve the problem, provide the data without having to do a lot of work because you just don't know. Or, or the operators or the people doing the job just don't know what's capable. And, and so you're saying you make the changes right there in the Kaizen event. Absolutely. I mean, we still use a control process, but in the goal of a, of a five-day event or a four-day event is actually build it in the sandbox, test it out, yep. uh, move it into a approval cycle and get it approved and get it in, put, put into production during that event. So, so you taught us at Danaher, and I'm not sure if they're still thinking this way, but when it comes to an IT solution, and I use that word loosely, okay, uh, um, the word solution, what, what are the, what's your thoughts around that? What's some of the grown rules that you kind of created to think about how IT applies to a, uh, let's say an administrative Kaizen? Well, first of all, you said something, are we working for the system or is the system working for us? Right. What we want to do is, is improve the process first. Uh, simplify the process, then look for IT solutions to help support that. In fact, you could use it to actually create your standard work and poke a yoke or foolproof or error-proof some steps and use the system as a constraint. Uh, so I've always viewed, uh, first of all, I want IT involved in there, A, from a knowledge transfer, but also from a development standpoint, we understand the business we're supporting versus supporting yep. the system. You know, yep. you made a comment about MRP, but uh, the one thing I forgot to add is when you put in a, a push system like MRP, you end up having to work to all the messages instead of actually getting product to be built, you're rescheduling everything because a single point schedule. So you're having to do a lot of work. What we want to do, uh, not just in the manufacturing, but in the administration is have the system work for us. Use it when we need it from a control standpoint, mm -hmm. providing some visibility. But how can we trigger and make this, you know, the process work the 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 best way? Uh, and then in a lot of cases, even when I look at ERP systems, is don't customize the system. Yeah, make it work for you because your old processes that you've done for years. Uh, what are you trying to solve for? What are we trying to look at? And let's make it work for us without having modifications. But absolutely, uh, IT involvement is critical. In fact, at Danaher, uh, my development team were all certified facilitators of using value stream mapping and process mapping. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. 
Joe, how many times have you seen, um, you know, whether it's workarounds or spreadsheets that are kind of working because the system doesn't do this and do that, but when you really look at it, the capability does exist. We just went through this in India. You know, the capability does exist within the system, but it, nobody knows about it or we're just not using it. And, and there are features that just haven't been turned on. How, many, how often have you seen that? Well, I'm smiling because uh, Excel is the largest MRP scheduling system. In the world. Uh, it was, you know, it was developed to actually help us do certain things, but uh, the capabilities exploded where people are very comfortable with the tool uh, that they use it in place of using tools that are readily available. So one of the things we try and do is get rid of that. And when we value stream map, we'll actually count the number of different Excel schedules that are being used during a typical uh, value stream mapping exercise. And the goal will be to eliminate those. How can we get to one place of truth and if at all possible, out of the system uh, to give us one place of truth where the record is actually stored and communicated. So yeah, at, a lot of people are very comfortable with Excel and they'll pull information out and do just a slight agent, but it's different than the next downstream operation or a parallel operation. And then you spend all this time expediting. Um, in fact, at one client, we had a hot list, a hot, hot list, a hot, hot, hot list, a really hot list. And we're spending all that, all the time and energy coordinating these and eliminate hot list. Why don't we try and create flow and we had flow operating and then we used pull and we got rid of the whole, actually the, the, the dependency on the system. We actually used it to report for the financials and we used it to basically track certain critical elements, but it was more of a, of, Hey, this is what we did versus this is what we need to do. And a lot of times I call those workarounds, you know, yep. the process itself, and I'm not necessarily always talking about an IT process, but the process itself, uh, A, you don't involve the operators or the, or the users who, as we know, are your best consultants. So what they do is they say, okay, well, here's a system that, you know, management created and they want me to use it. And they think it's the best thing in the world since sliced bread, except for the fact they missed this, they missed that, they missed that. So we're going to do a bunch of workarounds because... We can't go back until the emperor he has no clothes. So we use his system, but we got all, all these workarounds. And a lot of times those workarounds turn into Excel spreadsheets. And Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, you and I are the same pace. You know, it's interesting too, because when, you know, you worked with me on lean accounting, when I developed that back at Danaher and, uh, God, I, I was just talking to, to my son, Scott, the other day about it, because he's working on lean accounting for a client and, uh, in his write-up, he said, he, uh, he did a blog post. He said, it's, uh, yeah, lead accounting, uh, is a new concept. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. And I developed that in 1989. It's like 35 years, almost 35 years old. It's not that new. It, it takes some time. <laughs> that means that we're old, Joe. Um, uh, but, you know, but the thing about uh, the whole notion of, uh, of, of lead accounting, I think it is, is is uh, resident in your thoughts on IT in the, and these, these workaround spreadsheet is that we want to turn accountants, for example, into navigators, not historians in how much time to spend just popping data into these spreadsheets, as opposed to using the data to make decisions and to run the business and make improvements. 
I mean, that's, that's kind of what, what you've seen, I believe, and in, in all these, you know, again, I'm going to call them workarounds. Oh, absolutely. I mean, here's another critical example of constructing the system to actually provide us the visibility at the value stream level so right. we can smart decisions and understand where the opportunities are as we work on safety, quality, delivery, and cost. We right. can see the impact and it'll drive better behavior because as we you know, start driving to tighter uh, areas, more efficiency and, and processing the, from the front end to the back end of delivery, that we get the visibility of the impact that it has. And again, instead of having to fill out a lot of information and feed the system, we're actually pulling out the data out of the system to give us better visibility to make better decisions. Yeah, you and I worked with one pharmaceutical client um, that essentially just, you know, packed, packed pills into containers. And the manufacturing process, quite frankly, was relatively simple. It's the front end stuff with all the data and all the requirements and all the paperwork and literally it was paperwork. That was, I would say, what, what would you say? 80% of the lead time was all that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and they didn't, they didn't make product or they didn't pack pills. They made batch records was the joke because yeah, that's right. doc, the documentation and, and the details called out took more time than the physical packing. Yeah. I never seen anything like it. Yeah. And I, I've seen it in a lot of medical device companies too, where the, the paperwork will kill you, you know? And, uh, so, so you and I were at a client, uh, again, to be unnamed, but, um, I remember they were thinking about putting an ERP system in and the CFO was touting all the benefits he's going to get from putting this ERP system in. And you and I just looking at each other saying, well, wait, you know, cause we, we had some semblance of a understanding of, of their processes and their processes were quite frankly, you know, littered with waste. Right. And your notion is, no, you take the waste out first. You don't automate waste. Right. And that's kind of the mantra that you brought to Danaher. And that was our, that was basically our marching orders. When we looked at these type of processes is we're not going to take an ERP system or any other kind of software and throw it over your existing process without first taking out the waste, right? Cause otherwise you're just going to automate waste and you're going to screw up faster. Maybe, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe. Um, so I said to the CFO, I said, after you got done telling, you know, citing all the great benefits that they're going to get as an organization with this ERP system, I said to him, I said, geez, if it's that good, why don't you buy two, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, and that's where we went to work with them on holding them off. I actually had a client one time, uh, um, that, that I, I, I convinced the CEO to put a 18 month halt on their SAP implementation. Okay. The. SAP team was irate with me. They later thanked me because well, of waste of, you know, and for example, they had 26 distribution centers around North America, Canada, well, North America. And when we really started looking at it, they only needed 11. They would have implemented SAP in 26 sites. We saved them up to millions of dollars on implementation costs. And, and there are other things we did too, relative to streamlining the processes. So. Uh, they did come back and thank me, but man, it was tough at first because they just wanted to, they just wanted to fundamentally, uh, get this thing implemented without really thinking about the business implications. Well, I, 
you know, that one of my uh, primary thinking is I'm not going to upgrade a system unless I have a true business case. Typically, it's not the fault of the system. It's how it was deployed or how we're utilizing or accuracy yep. or inaccuracy. Yep. Uh, at Danaher Motion, we had 28 ERPs in 42 locations. And there, the, we had to consolidate into one global system because we were changing our face to the customer. Right. We didn't want them having to reach out to each plant to find out about deliveries of our different components. We wanted one order. We would manage it. And then we used it to actually drive a lot of financial transactions between all of the uh, transfers, intercompany transfers. We got rid of that process and, and only had to do what we needed to do for legal reasons. So if I went uh, from a product from Germany, I had a, a certain rate to do the, the transfer at, but I made it all automated. And what I focused on was getting the product to the customer and we had one face to the customer. But that was a business reason. I don't upgrade systems unless I have a business reason. Just, you know, if, if the system is working, then understand that if it's not, let's understand which processes and look at those processes. Because anytime you upgrade a system, it's going to have an impact. Well, I think that's the same notion that you and I use at Lean Horizons when we think about Lean, because we're not going to go out and implement Lean tools because it's fashionable. That's not the objective. The objective has to be the business objectives first mm -hmm. and then move from there. You know, so a little bit of color, what Joe's talking about on the motion group. So Danaher bought all these disparate companies that made all these different components, you know, stepper motors and servo motors and, and ball screws, all, all kinds of different actuators. And the strategy was instead of selling individual components to a customer, we're going to take all these different, you know, uh, pieces of the, of the, of a system and sell a system. So in other words, instead of selling individual components and getting whatever, you know, margin off of that, you can now sell a system that has a lot more market value to a customer. It's a one-stop deal. And, uh, you can still keep all the great brand names for all the different components that are in there because they're meaningful, but we sold them as a, con a consolidated system. So what did Joe do? He said, well, wait a minute now, we can no longer, you know, have a business model that sells a servo motor because nobody's buying a servo motor while we move to this new process or, you know, whatever it may be. So the business reason was I need one ERP system to be able to have that one face to the customer where the customer is not ordering with 500 different purchase orders for one system. Well, it wouldn't have been 500, but maybe 12, you know, and, and from different companies. All right. And, and so it was a business reason. So I want to put a little more color into what you guys did. And from that, you ex experienced unbelievable growth as a, as an, and profitability, by the way, as a business. But here, here's a great example where the IT approach and the admin and the lean approach were to support the strategy of the business not the other way around. So next time you guys hear somebody say, well, the system won't let us do that. You got to push back on that. Well, the other benefit Mark was by doing that, we became experts in motion products and we worked with our customers right. up right. front in the design, uh, which helped leverage us to 
you know, not treat those components as a commodity. We actually added value to them in the design phase that allowed us to be able to support them. And with our lean uh, transformation, we were able to deliver high quality products when they needed them. Yeah. And, and that's it, it, revenue growth. Yeah. So you, you, you really changed the, the, the profile of being a hardware supplier to a, uh, in, in effect, a, a service provider. Yep. Absolutely. So Joe, um, there's probably a lot more to talk about. Maybe we should do some subsequent more focused, uh, uh, episodes on various aspects of how you think about administration and, and what are some of the challenges that we have and, and some of the issues that we've had over the years with, you know, dealing with different, different types of businesses and different types of clients. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the regulatory? This will maybe end on the end. And I'd like to ask you one closing thought, but when you hear, well, you know, uh, we can't do that because industry standards or regulatory, or, uh, we can't do that because the lock plate supplier said it's got a cure for 5,000 hours. You know, <laughs> I'm being, I'm exaggerating here, but lock plate always comes to mind. Um, and, and, uh, you know, what, what's been your experience in that regard? Well, I've worked certainly in aerospace and defense uh, with weapons and all that. We had tight controls and requirements, specifications, sure. uh, federal, pharmaceutical. We had to uh, follow good manufacturing practices. You had to have validation before you could make a change. And if you want to make a change, uh, you had to go through a revalidation. Uh, but there's three things that fall in line. First of all, uh, we actually use the regulatory to help us uh, drive towards flow because we designed, as we did the product and went through our validation, the flow concepts. And because of that requirement, if you wanted to go back to a batch build and you wanted to change the process, you had to go through a revalidation, which is painful. It's, it, it, it verifies that what you're doing, you can prove that it works. And it verifies that you have the proper steps in place, standard work. Um, but we used it as an enabler to enforce what we want to do from a lean perspective. No. Uh, the, the second element was that, uh, and your Loctite made me smile because we, we were doing some work outside of uh, Philadelphia and we were doing a Kaizen event. And we had a two-part epoxy where we we're doing a potting operation. The operator says, we've got to figure out a way to do this. We ended up talking to the chemist at 3M on this epoxy, did a phone call with us, including the operator and the engineer. And what was happening is, is we had a 24-hour cure. Whenever you see things eight hours, 24, oh, yeah. uh, you, you, you challenge it because there probably wasn't a design of experiment to prove out that time. You know, Joe, in a previous episode, I talk about one of my problem solving episodes about challenging everything. And what do they call it? They call it, uh, the Ronald Reagan, uh, trust, but verify. I talked exactly about everything being invisible by eight hours. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Like, time, uh, dry time, whatever it may be. Burning. Yeah, so what we did on this is as we worked with the chief uh, engineer and, and he was fantastic that he spent time with us. The time was to allow the degassing, getting the air bubbles out. And the, as we worked with the operator, she says, what if, you know, when I make a cake, I bounce it up and down to get the air pockets out. He goes, absolutely. So 
how could we agitate this in order to move the gas out? And we took a 24-hour process down to an hour and a half. Well, again, Joe, this goes back to uh, another one of my episodes on problem solving, solving problems at the lowest possible level and getting operator involvement. And I had so many examples. In that episode, I talked about getting operator involvement because they're your best consultants, you know, but uh, interesting. Yeah. And then the third item is IT is a service organization. And we actually use lean principles to drive that uh, from a standpoint of who's our customer. It's the employee. How do we provide the best service? Again, SQDC and what we do, uh, including if there's a ticket, um, do we get feedback from the customer? Did we indeed solve the problem? And B, uh, do we use the data to prevent that problem from happening again? So match this level agreements, uh, having standard work processes, uh, getting feedback from the customer on how we're doing. Uh, that actually helps drive the behavior of the organization to say all of us should be working collectively to make each but as effective as possible with the end result being a quality product delivered to the customer when they need it. You mean to tell me that IT isn't somebody you have to serve? I thought you had to, I thought they were the customer. No, no. Typically that's the finance fee. No. People. <laughs> Even uh, we did. It's a merit to that, by the way. What? Yeah, in the pharmaceutical business, uh, yeah. I ended up uh, working with HR because I complained enough, and we said, "Who's our customer?" It was the employees. And it was amazing just that focus, and we looked at what what made our customer unhappy. What could we do to fix that process for them? And it, it was amazing the engagement of the people doing the job but also the engagement of their customer being happy with what they were getting. You know, Joe, separate for another day, but when you, you know, most corporate functions need to be thinking that way in terms of who is my customer, right? And by the way, it's not always an easy question to answer. Right. Well, some of the lead offices, and I'm gonna, I have a whole series of episodes planned for that. Maybe you can join me on that. Um, on the lead offices, um, that saying that, yeah, the operations are their customer, but then it, it, if that's true, why are you auditing them? I never saw a supplier audit a customer, you know? And, and so the notion that they're really customer focuses is, is all talk for the most part in most cases. And I see that so much and you're right. That's gotta be reversed 180 degrees to get that to be, you know, working the right way. So, uh, yeah, so, well, uh, well. Joe, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's close. I think there's so much more to talk about here, but, uh, maybe we can just close this right now. Let me ask you one final thought. If you were to leave the, the, the listeners with one thought as it relates to lean in admin and IT, or that be, or that one thought. I'll tell you, it's a great question. I, I kind of walk away with this thought, fix the process before you automate. Uh, Someone wants to automate a process, understand the process, simplify it, then look at ways to automate. Take the waste out. Absolutely. Four or principles of me. Yeah. yeah don't automate right. a bad process. I don't want to do something badly faster. Yeah. 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 Um, but that's efficient, isn't it? <laughs> 
it depends what your measurement of KPIs are, uh, key performance indicators. Yeah. <laughs> Again, well, it, might, it might be like ECOs. <laughs> you just opened up another Pandora's box. Well, let's let's yeah. leave it there. Joe, I, I really appreciate your time today. And uh, whoa, we, I got to have you back on, on, there's so many other things we need to talk about. So, uh, especially as it relates to the lead office, because you were there with me one week, you were part of creating the Danher business system. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, you got the same scars I have on your back as I do, because we made a lot of mistakes, you know, and, uh, and, uh, but that's how we learned and, and it was good. Uh, uh, still like that restaurant you took me in Switzerland. So, uh, uh that fondue, uh, just a funny story, you know, Joe, uh, Joe says, Hey, Mark, we're going to have fondue tonight. I said, fondue. I want something like that. I want a steak. I want something, you know, and we're this beautiful part of Switzerland up in the North in uh, on the French border in Les Raffons in, uh, the watchmaking district where all the great watches come from. And, uh, he took me to this, uh, farmhouse up in the mountain somewhere. Uh, I had a big motorcycle collection and it, it was phenomenal. I still say today, Joe, that's the best meal I ever had in my life. I mean, I love lobster. I'm a New England guy and I love Maine lobster, you know, but I still say that was the best meal I ever had in my life. I was sitting there saying that, and maybe my expectations are so low that that's why it was so good, but it was, it was phenomenal and the atmosphere, everything. Uh, but so I'll never forget that, that one, that one meal. So, yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I, I love opportunities and certainly being up in the mountains, uh, it was the first restaurant, second restaurant. I took my wife when I took her to, uh, Europe and, uh, it brought back so many memories, but, uh, yeah. she told me the first one was McDonald's, but <laughs> let's not, let's not go there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Joe Rutz, Joe Rutz. Thank you very much. Um, any questions, comments, uh, reflections on this podcast, please email, email me at mark, M-A-R-K, at lean911.com, mark at lean911.com. And we'll maybe have Joe back on and answer some of those questions that you might have or, or thoughts, and uh, we'll go from there. So, Joe, thanks a lot. Have a great day. And we'll uh, we'll see you guys. This was episode, uh, what did I say this was? 26. 26. Episode 26 uh, on the Lean 911 podcast, and you can find us on Lean the, all the episodes on lean911.com. Uh, we're on YouTube and also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the other ones that are out there. I think you get on Apple and they radiate out to everybody else. So uh, you can find us there too. And we'll see you next time. Joe, thanks. Thank you again, Mark. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Lean 911 podcast. I'll be happy to address your questions or feedback on future episodes. Email me at mark at lean911.com. You can check out our other episodes by visiting our website at lean911.com, our YouTube channel, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your host, Mark DeLuzio. Thanks for listening.